good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's really good to see you here. I'm Trevor. If we haven't met before, Happy New Year to you. Um, I, I trust uh, you've got your Bibles open in front of you. We're doing something. We're pausing Revelation um, for a couple of weeks, uh, and then we're going to kickstart it again in, I think, three weeks' time. Uh, so we're going to pause with Matthew chapter 9 and 10. We're going to think about giving yourself tonight, and then we're going to think about giving your everything next week. And the growth groups are going to do a bit of a study on Wednesday night on tonight's talk, tonight's passage. So giving yourself is tonight, and giving your everything is the week after, as we look at Matthew chapter 10 next week, and this little bit from the end of Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible in front of you, it'd be great if you could grab it. Um, I'm wearing new glasses, and I, I feel like as if I'm on a boat or something at the minute. They're very focals. Apparently, it's not an age thing. So the optician told me it's not an age thing that you need very focals. Anyone under the age of 90 here without very focals? No? Uh, anyway. Um, uh, this is a fascinating passage because we get to feel and see how Jesus felt and saw. This is hugely important because we might think of Jesus as this plastic character, the stained glass window who couldn't possibly feel everything. We get to hear what he saw. We get to see what he felt. And I hope that by the end of this evening, you see how he sees and you feel how he feels. So let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the king, he is the ruler. We praise you for his word. We thank you that you love us so much. You've sent Jesus, that you've given us his word. And Lord, we pray this evening that we would not be those who hear, but who do not obey, who hear and do not apply, who hear and just coldly walk away from it. Father, we pray we would be those who would see how Jesus saw and feel what Jesus felt. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bible in front of you, I want to show you a bit from bbc.co.uk website. I don't know if you picked this up. This was yesterday, and it was quite a remarkable article because you don't expect it to be anywhere in any way sympathetic. I mean, this is, a, this is a very significant Western voice describing Christian mission. Um, I was quite stunned by the article. Now, it, it's written not by Christians. It's written by reporters, secular reporters. I have no idea what the background is of the reporters. But it's actually quite sympathetically put. Now, of course, it doesn't get to the heart of just exactly what Christian missionaries are doing and why they're doing it and what they're doing whenever they're doing stuff. But it's massively sympathetic to my mind. It's a report on, and I've no idea why it appeared on the BBC website, what is the purpose of it, or why, like why is it there, because it's not really in the kind of news cycle. But it was this, that there's mission work happening in the birthplace of Buddha, the philosopher who kind of kicked off Buddhism, named after him. Christian missionaries target the birthplace of Buddha in Nepal. And I want you to pick up, we're not going to read this whole bit, this is just the, the kind of the, the, the beginning part of the article. Just listen to this. Converting people to another religion is illegal in Nepal. 
But missionaries are willing to risk prosecution to spread the Christian faith. Victory to Jesus, Korean pastor Pang Chang-in cries as he blesses a new village in the village, a new church in the village of Jarlang, in the foothills of the Himalayas. The congregation of the newly converted raise their hands in prayer. Most are from the indigenous Tamang community who used to follow the Lama faith, an ancient spiritual practice. In Pang's eyes, the Tamang people are poor financially and spiritually. Now, that's probably what he said. That's probably what he said, because that's exactly why he's doing the work. Because he sees, well, obviously there's poverty, and that's because those who are becoming Christians, you see from the, at the end bit of this article, are those from the lower castes, are those who are poor. But he sees them as to how exactly they are, precisely how they are. Yes, they're poor financially, but they're in greater poverty even, spiritual poverty. That is, they do not know Jesus Christ. They do not know the great and good shepherd who's described in Matthew chapter 9. Quite remarkable, I think, this article. You can check it out yourself, BBC. It's still there. Uh, There's more of it. And it gives some detail. And it's not kind of aggressively anti it or anything like that. There's a fairly fair representation of exactly what's going on. But what struck me is that line, in Pang's eyes, the Tamming people are poor financially and spiritually. They're impoverished spiritually. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. They don't know eternal life. And that's why he's doing this. So let's have a look at the passage. If you've got the passage in front of you, it'd be really, really helpful. It's a wee short passage. It's only four verses out, Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to look at it, verse 35. First of all, Jesus went throughout all the, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Uh, up to this point, if you flick over, we're not going to flick over now, but chapter 9, the rest of chapter 9, the rest of chapter 8, have many, many stories, many, many accounts of people being healed. Now, what is that about? Well, it's a way that Jesus is authenticated. Who is this one who was born a baby, Matthew chapter 1, who's described as Emmanuel, God with us? Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. That's the name that's been given to this baby. That's who he is. And he comes and he does all of these incredible miracles, healing the blind, feeding the hungry, so on and so forth. Those all authenticate his true identity. That is, he is the king. He is God's king who rules God's kingdom. And to be part of his kingdom you need to acknowledge his kingship. You need to acknowledge his rulership. And that is what being a Christian is. That's how you become a Christian. You acknowledge the rightful rule of Jesus, the king, over your life. That's how you're included in the kingdom. So the king is identified through all of these miracles and through his proclamation of the gospel, you see this in verse 35. Jesus goes throughout all the cities and villages. At this point, at this point, the ministry is, is rather focused in one place. But now Jesus' ministry is about to spread. 
And in Matthew chapter 9, he begins that. Then in Matthew chapter 10, he recruits those who are following him and sends them out. This is one of the things. If you're a Christian, you're instantly a missionary. Instantly. As soon as you become a Christian, Jesus wants you to spread this good news as he was the one who was spreading the good news when he was here. He was a missionary, and he wants those who follow him to be missionaries. To bring the... How else is it going to get out there? How else is God going to get his message out there? I have had a number over this last couple of years here of conversations with those people who aren't Christians. And one of their regular objections is, well, what about those people who've never heard? What about those people who've never heard of Jesus' love, of Jesus' rescue, of Jesus' message, of Jesus' gospel? What about those people? Surely it's unfair for God to judge them. Well, is it unfair that Jesus asks those who know him, those who benefited from the forgiveness of sins, who are living under his rulership, is it unfair of God to ask them to be the ones to bring the good news to the ends of the earth? And so whenever I say and have my engagement with these guys and girls, isn't it unfair that God judges those who've never heard of him? Well, I say, but you see, that's why people become Christians. So the good news can spread to those people who've never heard. And in one case, I had a conversation with somebody who did become a Christian, and I had to say to him, you know, a couple of months ago you were saying, what about those people who've never heard? I said, well, now, actually, it's your responsibility to let them know. God is so gracious, he sends Jesus to be our Savior. God is so gracious, he sends Jesus, who is a missionary, to recruit other missionaries, to bring news of his rulership, his authority, to the ends of the earth. So know who Jesus is. Verse 35, the one who proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, God sends a missionary, Jesus, the proto-missionary. First point. Second point, we see now what Jesus sees. How does Jesus view people? Does he see color? Does he see class? Does he see education? Does he see those who are at the bottom of the pile? Does he see those who are at the top of the pile? Does he see religious and irreligious? How does Jesus break down those whom he casts his eyes on? Well, a crowd in fact, crowds come before Jesus, and we're told what he says and how he feels. Verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. How do you view people? If you're a Christian, how do you view people? Do you see color? Do you see class, education, bank balance? How does Jesus see people? How does he feel when he sees people? 
He feels compassion. He is moved because he sees what is really going on with people. He describes them as harassed, weary in life, exhausted. He describes them as helpless, kind of thrown down on the ground, unable to pick themselves up. Maybe even, as Spurgeon says, like sheep who fall on their back. Do you ever see a sheep who's fallen on its back? Kind of legs in the air like that? I'll do that again. Legs in the air like that, they're unable to help themselves. It takes a farmer, a shepherd, to come along and flip them back over. And in fact, if they're on their back long enough, they will die. Completely helpless. That is how Jesus sees this crowd. In fact, the pluralists are crowds. Lots and lots of people. What does he see? Harassed, helpless, weary in life, exhausted, helpless, thrown down, on their backs, with their legs in the air, unable to save themselves. That's how Jesus sees people. And the compassionate Jesus is moved by that. The loving Jesus is moved to his core by that. That is the reality with every single human being. We're so lost, unable to help ourselves, unable to find ourselves, unable to save ourselves. That is the reality. That is the spiritual reality with every single human being. That is the spiritual reality with your mates in class. That is the spiritual reality with your neighbors. That is the spiritual reality with you if you're here this evening and you're not treating Jesus as king. You're not seeing this great shepherd, this good shepherd, and turning to him and saying, look, please flip me back on my feet. Please make me one of your children. If you're not a Christian, that's the reality. Jesus moved with compassion, a deep movement of his spirit, of his heart, in love. He sees people as they really are, he responds as we really should. So, how are you feeling, and I mean feeling, about the life course, for example? Are you going to get involved? Are you going to participate? Because your mates who don't know Jesus are harassed and helpless. What about international students? Those who've never heard about Jesus? They're harassed and helpless. What about the guys across the road? Streets? In the university? What about this city? What about this world? This island? This world? What what about it? How are you feeling? Are you feeling anything? Or is life just for you, your life? 
Are you moved with compassion? With the spiritual reality? Know Jesus for who he is, the king. Without any shadow of doubt, he is the king. Look at what he's done. The miracles, the healings, the proclamation of the gospel, of his rule, the king, who speaks about himself, the king, who looks at the crowds, and what does he see? Color, money, status? No. He sees deeply, precisely what the situation was. Every single human being, harassed, helpless, lost, as the hymn says, lost indeed without him. Know Jesus for who he is. See people for what they are. And then feel the disproportion. Feel the disproportion. Look at verse 37. In in the light of sheep without a shepherd, in the light of those who are harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The crowds and crowds and crowds. The harvest, plentiful, but few reaching. Few letting them know about this good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Few involved in the mission. So feel the disproportion. So many people. What is the population of the world now? It flipped at the start of December, didn't it? To 8 billion? Just try to get your head around that. 8 billion? Think of the crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people that you walk past every day. How are they going to hear about Jesus? Well, Jesus builds missionaries. When you become a subject in his kingdom, like him, you proclaim the good news of Jesus. The pro- he's the missionary, and we are involved in his mission. See the disproportion? So many people. So many people. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Very few workers. So, what does he want us to do in the light of that? Well, he wants us to participate in the harvest. He wants, first of all, for us to participate in the harvest by praying. Now, it's not a bit of a surprise. Might you have thought that he would say going to begin with or laboring to begin with? But he says praying. Talk to God before you talk about God, if you want to get stuck into his mission. Talk to God. Pray Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly. We're to participate in this harvest work. The disciples are told by Jesus, look, there's so many people. They saw it and they saw him and they heard him. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. Participation in this harvest work involves, number one, praying. If you're going to get involved, Jesus wants you to pray for more multiplication, for more and more and more of you. Are you praying for those you know who don't know Jesus? Are you praying for those with whom and you can kind of just, are just there and you can reach them and speak to them about? Are you praying that more and more people will reach them also? Praying for the work of the harvest. Uh, you're probably aware in our church family here, we, we try to encourage people to think about full-time financially dependent gospel ministry. We do this thing, ministry apprenticeship. That might be something that you should consider. I have no idea who you are, what you're doing. But if you're a Christian, you need to come up with 10 good reasons why you oughtn't to do full-time gospel ministry. The need is so great. The world is so vast. There are so many people who are, what is it? Lost, helpless, harassed, sheep without a shepherd. There are so many people. Who's going to reach them? Well, the people in this room. Participate in the harvest. Once you've felt the disproportion, then isn't it just an obvious thing to be involved in gospel ministry? Isn't it an obvious thing to be reaching the lost? Isn't it an obvious thing to be scattering the seed of the Word of God? And why not full-time? That'll not be for everyone, but it'll be for someone. Imagine how many people groups could be reached from this room. Imagine how many people could accompany Alison Jeremiah, perhaps, to North Africa, or perhaps others who are going to other parts of this island, or perhaps others who are going to be pastor teachers in churches, or perhaps others who are going to be student workers, perhaps others who are going to be youth workers, or perhaps others who are going to be involved in sports ministry, perhaps others who are going to be wrapping doors in the Holy Land here, perhaps others who are going to be involved in our student dinners. Now, that's just kind of, I'm taking time from the um, kind of announcements, um, just those, those, anticipate the announcements over the next couple of weeks. We'll be wanting you to get stuck into student dinners. It's amazing. We've had, at one moment, about 150 people at the back there. Some not from this country, island. Some not from this country. Some from this island. Some from this country. People everywhere. From everywhere coming here. And what a great opportunity for the team to speak about Jesus because every single one of them, if they're not a Christian, if they don't know the shepherd, if they're not rescued and living under the rule of the king, they're harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The send out word here is a really strong word. It's kind of far out, throw out, expel out. That's to be the nature of your prayer. God, please raise up more and more and more people. Throw them out into the harvest, into the harvest field to reach those who are harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. 
into his harvest. That's what life is to be about if you're a Christian. That's what life is to be about as you're making decisions. When you're thinking of a career, well, will that career give me the maximum opportunities to reach more and more people? Will that career or that place that I live in create opportunities for me to reach? Will that, those life choices I make, will, will that facilitate the reaching of more and more and more people? Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't you orientate your life towards this great mission? Why not orientate your life towards this great, great project of the Lord Jesus to reach and reach and reach? Why live life with very, very small ambitions? Sometimes our vision can be really small and paltry, can't it? Why not live with a big vision? The countless, 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 millions and millions and millions of people. Billions who do not know Jesus. Why not have that kind of vision? That's a worldview worth living for, isn't it? Give up your small ambition. Know Jesus for who he is, the king of his kingdom. See people for what they are. Feel the disproportion. Have compassion. Be moved. The millions and millions and millions. Participate in the harvest by praying and by laboring. It's interesting Jesus used the word labor. This is hard farming work. Sometimes people think of ministry as just kind of a cup of coffee, meeting with someone, a cup of coffee, and kind of very clean work. You know, you only turn up one day a week. You know, one day you're kind of, well, six days you're invisible, one day you're incomprehensible. I mean, that's how ministers are thought of. As Jesus describes ministry, it is hard, hard labor. The scattering of the seed of the kingdom of God, the word of the kingdom of God is hard yard type labor. So give up yourself for the sake of the gospel. Having known Jesus for who he is, having seen people for what they really are, having felt that disproportion, participate in his harvest by praying, by laboring. There's a little card in front of you, and we're going to take a few moments after I've prayed, a few moments for you to fill that out. Uh, if you've got some questions, uh, don't, don't worry. I mean, this is a, there's no pressure to do it, but it'd be great if everyone did it. <laughs> don't pray. It'd be great if everyone did it so, that, so no one feels a bit awkward about it. There should be pens. And if you'd like to talk about this sort of stuff, uh, we would love to talk to you about it. We're having an event on the 20, uh, 24th, Friday the 24th of February. There'll be pizza. There'll be a talk by a guy called Richard Cogan. It'll be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Friday the 24th of February. It'll be up in Cadogan Park, 4 o'clock, a guy called Richard Cogan, and he'll be helping. If you'd like to come along and you'd like to think about this sort of thing, 
he'll be helping us to think through what could life, what could life look like for the sake of the gospel, giving up life for the sake of the gospel, laboring in God's harvest field. If you'd like more information about that, what I want you to do on the, getting, the, the welcome to church card is with all the other details or comments or questions or points for prayer or email, after you email mobile your name, you'll not be contacted randomly. If you'd like to chat about that, just write an L, all right? Just write an L on that. I've no idea what L stands for. Um, actually, you do. Labor, <laughs> laborer, all right? I had this worked out in my mind. L, yes, laborer. Just do a big L and put your name, mobile number, and we'll get you information about that pizza evening with Richard Cogan on the 24th of February. It's a Friday afternoon, 4 p.m., up in Cadogan. There'll be pizza, there'll be a talk, there'll be pizza, there'll be a bit of discussion. So I'm going to pray, and then there'll be a bit of music going, and then it's an opportunity for you to fill that card out. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've sent Jesus for us. Lord, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your salvation, your rescue. We don't deserve your mercy, but you're the gracious, kind, loving God. We sent Jesus. We pray that we, as members of your kingdom, as those who live under the rule of Jesus, would bring the good news to people beyond us, beyond our networks, beyond, Lord, to the ends of the earth, and that we would labor. And we pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up workers and throw them out into your harvest field. In Jesus' name, amen.